With most of the country already under extreme measures, it's clear that we need to do more together to bring this new variant under control while our vaccines are rolled out. In England, we must therefore go into a national lockdown which is tough enough to contain this variant. That means the government is once again instructing you to stay at home. Oh shit, here we go again. And the worst public enemies, Chuck D, bring the noise. From the Fifth Home Podcast Network, I am Charlie Taylor, and this is What's Good. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Happy New Year to one and all. And don't worry, guys, I've checked. I'm dropping this on the 7th, which means by international law, this is the last day I can say that. Uh, so, <laughs> as the last, everyone knows you have seven days where you can say Happy New Year, and then after the 7th, you cannot say it ever again until. Uh, January 1st, 2022. Uh, so, yeah, we are here. We are here in the new year. All of that, all of that, all of that. And to be honest, this is... Um, I it's, I'm uh, As of this recording, I am six days in to 2021. And to be honest, I'm st- I've am i still got my cautious optimism that I, uh, that I disclosed uh, in the 5 EPN special. So, yay! That's good. That's, that's great, honestly. That's, that's really good stuff. Um, to to know that six days, I can still keep my cautious optimism about the year. Uh, let's see, let's see how that goes. I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep a running score, a running tally of uh, how that optimism's going. Uh, but yeah, man, hope if if I get even a few months of that, if I keep it for a few months, right, and just avoid all the bullshit and just keep like you know prospering and progressing, like you know, what I mean, manifestation, all that, all of that, all of that, then. Damn, I'll take this year as a success. Honestly, I'll take that year. If we get to March, April time, and it's and everything's okay, and when I mean okay, I just mean personally because everything around, <laughs> everything everywhere else is really just a complete cesspool at the moment. I mean, just take the intro. Just just take the intro, guys. We're in lockdown three. The Rona strikes back. Are you fucking kidding? Like we 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 are, we are in the trilogy. Of Corona lockdowns, it I can't fathom how silly this is. And now we have a a, a new strain of the Rona that is uh that is that was entirely sourced in Britain. So we have the British vi- British coronavirus. Who we see? This is this is it. This is taking back our country. This is this is what it is. That is exactly what it is. Taking back our country, making our own homegrown diseases. Boom. Homegrown mutational diseases. Fucking love it. That is what we exited the European Union for. This is this is great. I'm 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 over the fucking moon. Taking back control. That's what we're doing right now. Absolutely amazing. Outstanding. But sarcasm aside, um you know, everything's still cesspool. Like uh, the the magic wand doesn't uh there's no flick of the magic wand once the midnight comes through, uh, unfortunately. And uh, everything's still shit. But um yeah, man. I'm still relatively, you know, I'm I'm still glass half full, um, so I shall take that 
into this episode for sure, and hopefully for the future episodes as well. Uh, but yeah, it's been a it's been a while since I've done an actual proper episode. It's been since November. Uh, and, uh, yeah, man, I'm ready to freaking go, I'm ready to freaking go with this one, uh, we've got a good show, uh, one of each, we've got one film TV, one sport, one music, and one life, and, uh, the music one's very, uh, it's gonna be very interesting, I brought, uh, some homies from Search of Source, brought Brandon and Ryan in to come in to talk about MF Doom, and, uh, that'll be, that's an interesting, uh, chow I can't wait to, uh, drop for you guys, uh, it'll probably be the second or third segment, and, um, yeah, the rest are looking pretty good. Um, so, without further ado, oh, formalities before you begin: email, Twitter, IG, no Facebook, no Facebook. I did it, ladies and gentlemen. I fucking did it. I deactivated that motherfucker at the thirty-first, like six p.m. I was just like, you know what? I t- I said I'm gonna do it, and I'm gonna do it now. Boom! I was watching TV. I was just like, you know what? Let's just kill this Facebook off right now. Let's just do it. Let's just pull the trigger. No fanfare. Let's just pull it. Done. No no Facebook. Zero. Zero Facebook on my phone. Zero Facebook anywhere apart from obviously WhatsApp and Instagram. But hopefully that gets broken up and uh, they become independent again. Who knows? Um, but yeah. No Facebook. No Facebook anymore. Um, the page is still there, but I'm uh, I'm not on Facebook, so I can't really uh, host it. So uh, yeah. Uh, no more Facebook on the formalities. Yippity skippy. Actually, why do I why do I say that? Let me hop off and because uh, you have uh, notes of the, just the um of the usual stuff that I usually copy and paste every week. Um, I'm just gonna cut that Facebook off right now. Boom. Hope hopefully you guys heard that uh, that that tap of the tap of the keyboard. That's 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 progress right there. That is growth. You just you just heard growth, ladies and gentlemen. Um, so let's <laughs> just continue with that. Uh, so yeah, no Facebook, Discord link is still there. Everything is in full show notes. Go peep. Uh, support the people who help make the show possible. Ninety percent that's me. So support me. And once again, thank you for listening. Thank you uh, for having me join your journey for the new year. And hopefully that continues on for well until I stop doing this, which um, I have no idea when I'm going to stop doing this. But I don't know why I'm saying it like that. But yeah. Anyway, let's get into the show. Let the beat drop, and let's get into the show. So I've been a bit lazy, lazy here, ladies and gentlemen. I have not done it in a week wear or in a hiatus wear because I just um, was, you know, just. Uh, <laughs> I, I honestly, I haven't been really. You know, I've, I keep up with the news, you know what I mean? I get the necessary notifications, you know what I mean? I have a little scroll through some certain uh, certain sites, you know what I mean? Just, you know, I, I, do my, I do my stuff to keep up, but I don't really, um, I didn't really uh, take, a, take a minute to actually write any of it down, um, especially this past week, because I was just busy um, thinking about other things and doing, and getting some stuff done. Uh, but yeah, you know, the week happened, <laughs> and, uh, but... We'll just jump into the, uh, uh, to the to the topic at hand, and uh, let's start with. Ooh, no, well, I got to start. I got to start with this. Got to start with this. We're going to sport, and we are going for once again the Tokyo Olympics, which is hopefully fingers freaking crossed for 2021 in the summer. I I'm I I actually uh, I saw a. Uh, one of those um, uh, things on IG where like uh, you can see what you posted on your stories, like you know what I mean, in the that on that day kind of thing. 
Um, and one of them was it was a good episode. I think it had uh, something about Olympics hype in the title. Um, and <laughs> it was just so funny because like I, I'm getting a sense of deja vu because I'm trying. I'm I want to. I was so hype. I remember recording. It, I was so hype about the Olympics. I was just like, oh, I can't wait. Whenever whenever it's Olympic year, it's immediately the first thing I circle my uh, circle on the calendar. I'm just like these two weeks of the Olympics. I am fucking gone. You will not see me uh, for the next two weeks, ladies and gentlemen. Personally, if you like to see me in person, I'm I'm in my home. I am fucking grinding watching the Olympics. I watch anything and everything if it doesn't have a horse in it. Um, that's literally it. Like I don't watch equestrian and the rest of it. I'm I'm fine with. I'm 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 glad to give it give it a whack. I watch some gymnastics, yeah man, watch some flippies, watch some backflips, twisty flips, you know what I mean, all that, all them somersaults, up for it, skeet shooting, fucking yeah, right, yeah, damn right, I'm, I'm watching some skeet shooting, um, what else, like, kayaking, fuck yeah, man, all the, fencing, epe fencing, yeah, man, on it, like a car bonnet, trust me, um, and all the other athletic stuff as well, because, uh, you know, I'm about I'm about my running, of course. Um, but yeah, even Sevens Rugby, I really enjoyed Sevens Rugby in 2016. That was really fucking fun to watch. Um, but yeah, we have this uh, nice article here, Sean Ingle uh, via the Guardian. Back to the future, Team GB gear up for delayed Tokyo Games. Um, and uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's kind of just more a uh, an overview of uh, Team GB right now, where they're at, and uh, you know, because you know, technically it's like an organizational thing. You know what I mean? It's, it's not. This isn't just like, um, you know, you see the individuals, but, you know, it's a whole thing of, like, you know, cultivating, uh, trying to get these medals, basically, you know what I'm saying? Like, the job is to get these medals. And, uh, you know, that's when team when it's Olympic year, Team GB, boom, UK sport, boom, they, they're locking in, they want to get those people, they want to cultivate these people and, and big them up. You will see Dina Rashid-Smith's name uh, throughout the year, guarantee that. Um, and you'll see many others as well, um, guaranteed. Helen PT, some gymnastics people, maybe I don't know. Uh, a few other runners, Carrie Johnson, Thompson, etc., etc. But anyway, let's get let's just dive right into this. Deep inside the UK sport offices in central London, there is a secret wall accessible to only the most senior figures, on which the performances of every potential Team GB medal prospect are tracked and scrutinised. See? They take this seriously. Uh, Normally, if it was seven months out from the Olympics, that wall in a room called the Performance Lab uh, would be a hive of activity. Instead, it looks like the Mary Celeste. Quote, I have uh, not been in that room since last March, so I don't know whether the wall has a nice layer of dust or is being brushed down by the one person who still checks the office, the UK sport chair Catherine Granger says. I think it's fair to say that there's probably more question marks going into a games than we've ever had, unquote. How could there be uh, not be uh, when the COVID-19 pandemic... Uh, I'm, 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 try- I'm going to try and challenge myself here. Instead of saying pandemic, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say t- stuff that clearly isn't that word but you guys know exactly what i'm talking about so from now on i will never say panasonic uh has wrecked so much of the sporting uh, calendar and in many cases forced athletes to train differently for every adam Peaty who was able to break the 100 meter breaststroke world record in november there is a dean rasher smith who did not compete at all on the international stage the new variants of the virus have only added to the swirling uncertainty Normally in January and February, many British athletes would go away to warm weather training camps. Instead, they are having to slog away in temperatures barely above zero. What effect might that have come the summer? One thing may surprise you, though. 
both UK Sport, which funds Britain's Olympic sports, and the British Olympic Association, which is responsible for preparing and leading Team GB at the Games, are convinced that Tokyo 2020 will go ahead in July. It's not just a rollout of various vaccines that gives them confidence. The BOA's chief demission. Say, say is, is DE like French? Um, is it? Oh, it's chef. Chef demission. That's great. Is it mission? <laughs> marking, I don't know. Chef demission. Uh, Mark England is on a key uh, international co- uh, Olympic committee working group and is able to see uh, firsthand the work organizers are doing uh, to make sure the Tokyo Games take place. And if they do, the BOA believes Team GB will be one of the most well-prepared squads despite the difficulties created by the Panachocola. Uh When in March Tokyo, Tokyo 2020 was postponed by a year, the BOA was forced to renegotiate hundreds of contracts ranging from the operation camp and the performance facilities in Japan to freight, travel, transport and catering. It was, says one insider, quote, a huge challenge, unquote. Yet it was one of the... It was one... That quiet was quietly overcome, uh, as Andy Anson, the BOA chief executive, not chef, chief executive. Now I'm wondering if it, I'm wondering if they just misspelled chef, uh, uh, ch- uh, chief now, instead of it says chef. I'm wondering if they just actually meant to spell it as chief. I'm, <laughs> I need to look up what chef demission even exists. Chef de Michon. Uh, as Andy Anson, uh, BOA chief executive, says, quote, we're confident the games are going to go ahead and we're fully focused on making sure we provide the athletes with the best performance environment we can in Tokyo. The timings of the games might have changed, but that won't have lessened the ambitions of our athletes. And after a five-year wait from Rio, I sense there is, uh, there's now a growing fervor. F- how, do you, how do you say that probably? Fervor? 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 Yeah, probably fervor. Uh, for the games to happen, unquote. So how might Team GB fare? A year ago, the former UK Sport Performance Director Chelsea War said she was quote quietly confident unquote uh, Britain would go uh, Britain would do better than the 2016 Rio Olympic Games, where 27 gold medals and 67 podium finishes lifted them to second in the medal table. Understandably, no one is being as bold or bombastic with their predictions now. Granger, who was a five-time Olympic rowing medalist before retiring in 2016, says quote. In terms of performances, it's so hard to predict because we haven't had the international competition that we would normally have in the years before the Games. We're still way off uh, knowing what the Olympics and Paralympic team is going to look like, never mind what their performance will be, unquote. It is also worth noting that the analytics company Gracenote, which has a decent track record of predicting Olympic Olympic medal tables, has warned Great Britain's uh, medal tally at the Tokyo Games will fall significantly, quote-unquote, significantly from 2016. Quote, their best hope is to break into the top five rather than the top three where they landed in the last two Olympics. Uh, the company said in February, uh, pre-Panchetta, pointing to rowing, athletics, gymnastics, and cycling as events where Team GB would not do as well in this time around. Hmm, Interesting. I mean, I, I just, I'm try- that's that's the thing, right? Because you're saying that, but we're not the only country that's been affected here, right? It's every country. So I can imagine, I can, I can imagine the US and China being this, right? Because it's the US and China that you know, when it comes to sport, them them two have well, US have like the best facilities, um, probably the most funding out of everyone overall, um, and China just has you know, obviously a. <laughs> 
<laughs> a very uh, uh, interesting work work ethic uh, towards my, the most of the things they do. Um, so you know, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll, you know, third is always a great place to be, but you know, compared to someone like I don't know, Germany, uh, what Italy, France, European countries. Um, who else is who else is good? Um, but, but, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to think of other countries, but yeah. Uh, you know, there are there are other countries that have been affected, so I don't really see why we would why we would drop so hard. Um, you know, I I can imagine in something like athletics, um, rowing's a good shout. But then again, um, I feel like rowing training wouldn't stop in my mind. I haven't really kept note of that kind of thing. But you know, cycling, I guess, gymnastics, I guess. Um, but. You know, those are obviously our biggest one, our biggest earners, but um, yeah, I, I don't see why you know we would suffer compared because it did say up the top, like nearer to the top of the article, that you know we're one of the best, we'll be one of the best prepared. So I don't see why the drop would be significant. Um, I, I'm assuming there'll be a drop. You know what I mean? Because we were second last time. I don't see us being second this time. Um, so you know we're gonna make it. We're gonna have a drop, but I don't think it's gonna be, you know. Fingers crossed for top five. Anyway, however, there are at least uh, three caveats to their prediction. There you go. Um, the first is we don't know how many neutral Russia athletes will turn up. Great point. I hope hopefully none of them do because, uh, well, uh, well, I don't really care to be honest. If they're uh, if they go across as neutral athletes, um, if they're clean, they're clean. Um, if they're if and obviously Russia do, do, ain't going to be anywhere near this anymore, um, which is good. And I'm fine with that. Uh, but yeah, you know, if they're clean, then by all means. But I don't really see the um, authorized neutral athlete um, uh, contingent being as as good as GB. I don't think it's gonna be that good. Uh, the second is how the pan <laughs> nearly 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 did it. Um, 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 um. Uh, Panacotta, there you go. <laughs> uh, will affect some countries uh, more than others. Third, Team G- GB Tech Department is the hev- is the envy of most countries. There are dynamic uh, cycling skin suits which are only wheeled out at the Olympic Games. Are said to improve points by five to ten percent. That can be the difference between a good performance and a gold medal. Certainly, with Team GB, there these there remains a quiet confidence that Britain will do well. And that uh, big stars such as P.T., Asher Smith, Laura Kenny will deliver. Quote, I generally feel our athletes are in a good place, says Granger. Some have benefited from a break in the training regime or trying a new approach to doing things. Like all of us, we've learned different uh, ways of working. So I think there's a positive, a general positivity about next summer. For a long time, it was will it or won't it happen. Now it feels like it's on and our athletes are ready to show how good they can be be unquote and there you go um, um yeah honestly like like i said in the mi- middle uh, in the middle stint um i'm ve- i'm quietly confident that you know as as team gb specifically will go i think we'll do a, you know decent um i have a feeling there will be like a, a couple of disappointments um but you know overall and you know this i think this can be understated and this is coming from a dude that you know isn't in as part of you know part of UK sport team GB so clearly I'm not the authority on this opinion but like I do think that when it come year on year there's always like a, a couple of people that just come of age all of a sudden you know what I mean like they've been grinding for years right for years for all of their teenagehood and now they're adults and you know fully fleshed out as as, as athletes right I do think there's always 
there's always like that one, there's always a year, every year, I think there's always like one or two athletes that just come through and just absolutely just shock people. Um, I, you know, for someone like um, Reese Prescott, for example, right, I truly think that he has benefited from this year. Um, I haven't, I've, I, you know, I follow him on social media. He looks like a dude that's been training for a minute. Um, he did come out of injury, uh, I think, last year or year before, or early la- early in twenty twenty. I think he pulled out pr- pretty pretty quickly in this in the earlier in the season. Um, but yeah, I think for someone like him who made a couple of waves in the Diamond League in uh, twenty eighteen, won a couple of races against really high class, really world class field, boy. Mate, if that dude gets his star sorted, bro, man, I'm honestly, he's he's in he's in contention. You have that one race, that one race where if, if he's in the final, I generally think he can pull out a medal. I genuinely think that. And with someone like Christian Coleman out of the mix, anything is possible. Um, so you know that's that's and that's the potential. That's that's just me. That's just me. I personally think that someone like a Reese Prescott can make moves and potentially get a podium. Um, and uh, you know. I I can't I I wouldn't I'd be I'd find it hard to believe that um, there will be um, a significant drop. I, I'm not I'll say this: there won't be any world records um, being being set this uh, this this uh, this this Olympic season. I I I highly doubt that honestly, um, just for obvious reasons. But I would love to be um, I'd love to be uh, shown wrong on that front as a collective Olympic. Uh, um, as an Olympic collective, so uh, yeah, you know, I'm looking. I'm the, the 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 cautious optimism is there for the Olympics. I'm here for it. I'm here to get hype. Uh, once once July comes through, and I'm just gonna be constantly looking at Tokyo's um, <laughs> health <laughs> health protocol. I'm just gonna be like, is 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 Tokyo good? Quarantine Tokyo as much as you can. And then quarantine everyone else who wants to be who wants to be in that mix. And for love, I, I don't care if there's going to be an audience there. I just want the Olympics to happen because I really want those two weeks of just fucking hunkering down <clears throat> and just watching bare Olympics, bare sport. Can't wait, can't wait, can't wait. So continue on with music and to be honest there was only one topic that I felt it was necessary to even talk about and it was obviously of Mr. MF Doom. Um, with me, I uh, to, to I guess uh, put in context MF Doom and everything else and maybe drop some bars here and there because why not. Uh, we have the guys from Is Search a Source, we have Mr. Brandon Hill, what's good Brandon? What's up, how's it going Charlie? Not too bad. And we also have Ryan Cole. What's good, Ryan? Um, as good as can be. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> um, yeah, so <laughs> I kind of just wanted to, um, because you guys are uh, probably way more, well, definitely are way more into MF Doom and his, uh, guess, I guess, aura than I personally um, have. Um, I, I, I feel like for me... Uh, Doom is one of those just like symbols of things, and I never actually like. And you know, I will at some point. Um, it's always on the list, isn't it? <laughs> Everything, everything's on the list for me. But um, mm. you know, 
it was just one of those enigmas, right? And one of those, like, you know, things you see all the time and everyone kind of knows who he is. Um, but I kind of wanted to get people that have actually, you know, actually digested his music and not just have me just, um, you know, chant about whatever. Um, but the thing I wanted to get started with and to kick off uh, everything and, uh, is uh, someone I mentioned on DITD, which is like, I don't think we will ever be able to uh, fully equate how influential and impactful uh, MF Doom was. Not just hip-hop in general, but I guess more about the artists that have come through uh, over the past couple of decades. Um, So I wanted to just... Let's just start off with that and... uh, get you guys thoughts on that particular uh side of doom and his uh legacy so to speak yeah yeah um it's funny because you mentioned like doom being a symbol to you more than anything i think a lot of people even the people who do love his music would say when it comes to influence doom as a symbol probably means a lot like in terms of creating i guess you'd say children in music or children in rap and like when it comes to his legacy he'll be remembered as the guy behind a mask who no one really knew what he looked like or you know things like that like the guy who would send imposters to his shows <laughs> because and people would like make up law i remember someone saying like oh maybe he's sick and uh he can't actually perform that's why he sends out these imposters like all that stuff around doom is kind of like what might persist as his overriding legacy uh but to me it's like that stuff comes from the way he writes how doom writes about doom like doom is one of the only rappers i've ever heard to consistently never use the word i in a song and he would describe doom from the third person and he would have this insane mix of like um describing himself physically in very real grounded terms and these really abstract ridiculous ways that blend together that just piece together this person or this entity that is what you see and what Charlie sees as the symbol of MF Doom. So both on the lyrical side and I guess the aesthetic side, he is Mm. like ephemeral in a way. Yeah. Yeah. And even, I mean, even outside of just the Doom persona, like the way that he shifts back and forth between you know, uh, Vaughn and King Ghidorah and just has like encompassed so many personas, but does it in a way that's very like outside looking in where he like characterizes, like Ryan said, like his personas from the third perspective. Um, Mm. and I mean, there's just, there's so many things you can talk about when it comes to like his influence. And I think in particular, like I'm interested in what Ryan has to say specifically because you know, his whole pocket mm-hmm. is that, like, art rap subgenre. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to find one of the things I read, because I've been reading these, like, Doom retrospect pieces, like, all week. And there was, in particular, something from Dylan Green about how, yes, he says, mixing R&B and jazz staples with rips from old Marvel cartoons, second nature. His brand of weird didn't bridge gaps between subgenres of rap mm. It proved there were no gaps in the first place. Wow. And I think that really spoke to how, and you know, with this whole art rap movement, how it's about 
you know, it's not about like defining it by a particular thing. It's about doing the artful thing, like doing what you feel. Like Doom made it really okay to just like get on a beat and just rap your ass off. Like and it didn't really matter, you know, what the message was or what the whole picture was. You know, he literally, he took things like bar for bar in that flow of consciousness, consciousness style and just wrapped his ass off on every track. Yeah, but would do so in such a concentrated manner that it would build up this image. And, like, we talk about the symbol of doom. And, like, his legacy, I guess, is, like, the guy who would run around in a mask and pretend to be a Marvel villain. That seems goofy to so many people, until you hear him spit one verse. Just one verse, and you'll see, you're completely sold on it. Because the guy believes what he's doing so much. He, he, that is his art, like Brandon was saying. Like, to him, that is the artful thing to do. It's just to, I guess, break apart any idea of what you should look like or what you should sound like or what you should talk about, what you can't talk about. And just go all the way, 110% believe in what you're doing. And that's what kind of birthed all my favorite artists like you could talk mm. about how what he did for rhyme schemes is kind of like what rakim did to, with rhyme schemes and kind of open people's minds to a whole new way of rhyming but really what really birthed these artists is his unashamed ridiculous um commitment to the character of mf doom or victor von doom or this, or that, or this, or that. Exactly, yeah. The 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 point. The point yeah, man. I'm using all my hands. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's it is that is an interesting way of putting it in. You know, putting him in like the space of a rock him and that because I don't think people uh, really uh, do that. Uh, and it, it quite and it comes it, it connects very well. I can please see we again. I completely see the line there. Um, but I do find it interesting of seeing someone um, as much as like an outside figure, even though everyone kind of knew who he was, if that makes any sense. Um, I don't know if you guys saw that. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw that uh, Ninth Wonder tweet um, that kind of got him chatting, uh, which he rarely does on Twitter, but I, I kind of I always relish that kind of thing when you. Um, well, you know, he, he goes like, um, you know, I wish uh, he, he lashes a, a screenshot of like, um, like three or three or four of his albums, like in the top ten of iTunes and that. And he's like, you know, I wish people would give him flowers more than you know when they're when they're alive and when they're dead. And you know, I I initially saw that point as just like, well, that's I I I hate that point when people make that. It's just like nobody's nobody was. Some people were listening to Doom on the 30th of December, right? But not everyone was listening to Doom on the 30th of December. We're doing other stuff as well. We can't, we can't like hail everybody <laughs> we love every every day. Um, so that's obviously just not, that's just not applicable. Um, but the point he made, like in other tweets, apart uh, after that, is kind of just more the independent scene themselves and just saying like, you know, again, we all knew who Doom was. I knew who Doom was. But I didn't listen to Doom. But obviously you guys listen to Doom. And that's kind of like the bridge there that needs to be uh, recognised, I think, in terms of the whole 
sphere of what hip-hop is and hip-hop music in general and the business, etc., etc., where we have these independent artists that are so influential and probably the most influential we're talking about right now, um, still didn't exactly get um, the commercial love that, you know, we would love, everyone we love to get. And not saying in terms of, like, I want him to, you know, pack Wembley. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Although that would be very interesting. <laughs> just having just having Doom just have, like, 80,000 just, <laughs> just fucking going off. It's interesting about. But, um, yeah, that's not the point. The point is, obviously, just more about um, giving someone what they do. And, uh, obviously, in this case, he's getting it in death, which a lot of people get posthumously um whether it be awards or just like people copping their shit for a good week or obviously the um recent news about uh his uh, uh physical uh hard copies uh being you know spiked obviously due to the death um i guess the point i'm trying to make there out of all of that is that um it kind of it kind of makes me sombersome if that's a word about um, about independence and independent artists and you know artistic uh, rap artists as well, uh, where you have this person that again is such a symbol of a lot of things, and we're still having this particular conversation, uh, which I kind of um, yeah I kind of find a bit depressing to to talk about, but. Um, yeah, I don't know if you want to, if you guys want to respond on that front, but yeah, <laughs> it's a sign I gleaned in the past few days. I think, well, whenever something like this happens, it always reminds me of a DJ booth piece right. by Louis Pavlakos on, um, he did after Nipsey Hussle's death, where he sort of compared like getting to know Nipsey after his death through his music to like how much he learned about his grandfather because of his grandfather's passing. You know, people telling stories, like going through the old stuff. Um, and I, you know, I always think about that, like the strength of that knowledge that comes when something like this happens, because I know like in my instance with MF Doom, um, I got into the music and was listening to the music. Uh, it was like after the big albums had come out, you know, it was like when I was in high school. So I didn't like come up with him as a symbol, but more of like, yo, like this dude raps, like he's dope. But through the music and like getting introduced to that and then learning about MF Doom and then learning about, you know, what he represented and the little slot that he carved out and, you know, what what his experience with labels was and like sort of really defined for me like what an independent rapper is and why it's significant that they're independent, you know, as opposed to being on a label. And I think now, you know, that's a good thing. Right that even if people aren't hip to doom now that they get on that, they sort of go through that same process all over again. Like there's sure there's good music to enjoy, but there's also so much to learn about the symbolism and the culture and, Mm -hmm. you know, the person he was and why he is that or why he was that person. And there's always more to learn. I mean, there's always more to learn. That's something definitely I've noticed too with um, Connor Herbert we're running on Central Sauce, we're running this like five part series on sort of like MF Doom's like origin story. And, you know, so I, like I sat down on, it was 
the day after, or maybe two days after the news, I think on like the second or something, um, I sat down to edit this like 12 and a half thousand word document. And I, you know, I loaded it up. I threw on like my doom records. I spun, you know, like almost his whole discography while like editing this big document. And it never even felt really like work. Like it was literally like so enriching and like cathartic of an experience. And I learned so much more because, you know, this, this piece that Connor's writing covers like Mm. the 1980s to like the cusp of like 2003 and Operation Doomsday or 2004, which is really like, you know, it, it ends where sort of my influence with Doom began. So like learning even more about that context just and getting like that yeah. full bodied image i mean at least as much as you can from someone who is so you know enigmatic i guess on the independent front i don't have a whole lot to add maybe because like <laughs> it's really difficult for me to even use doom's name in the context of was you know like in the context of being gone like it's yeah. like that's kind of just hitting me right now because <laughs> I think this is the first time I'm actually speaking to people face to face who cared who Doom was. Oh, just saying it's weird, but yeah. So this is kind of a working through stuff right now <laughs> experience. Um, <laughs> so yeah. Sorry if I'm a bit discombobulated. That's right. That's right. That's... <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. It's all love. It's all good. Um, I feel that. Yeah, Brian, you you spent some bars on that. That was, that was kind of, that was, that was kind of interesting. And Charles Connor on that because like there's a whole two decade history right there that you know is worth telling and kind of obviously sets the roots to everything uh, that becomes MF Doom. So um, you know, Charles Connor on the history uh, history buff uh, team <laughs> right there. Uh, we'll end it. Uh, you know. You guys wanted to spit some bars, so uh, I'll, give, I'll give you guys I'll give you guys a verse each if you guys uh, have anything uh, uh, up up on up on the plate. No, I man, like I screenshotted one. He <laughs> screenshotted bars. The thing is for me, like no... <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> <laughs> no one will make you a nerd like MF Doom. Nobody will make you want to sit down and read lyrics and analyze rhyme schemes and figure out what he's trying to say like MF Doom. Like my favorite thing about Doom is like his the way he would absolutely find a new way of saying everything. Like he never spoke in cliche once. Like the line on um on Rhinestone Cowboy says, uh, oh my aching hands from breaking in ba- breaking in grands and breaking in mic stands. Like how what more creative way can you think of to say I get money and I'm better than every rapper in the world to the point where it's like your mic stands aren't even broken until I have a go at them? Like that is just pure genius. And he 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 has those things that might seem superficial if anyone said them, but because Doom said them, it's just like taking everything to the next level. And then he'll hit you with the line the song like Strange Ways, where it's just so cerebral and he takes away all the braggadocio and he's like genuinely talking about these real world issues coming from this comic book character and yeah everything that doom was is so hard to encapsulate in a in a in a line or a verse or anything but like yeah for me the way thing that brought me close to doom is just the way he played with language 
to quote the man himself, um, doom rock grammar like the Kumbaya. It's a religious experience. Yeah, man. He's... You're, I mean, you're totally spot on about the thing where, like, he makes you a nerd because he's one of those rappers where you pick up something every single time you listen. <laughs> yes. And it just... It, and literally, okay, like... I don't know if, and I'll, I'll, I'll drop a superlative here. I don't know if there is a rapper whose lyrics are more fun to read. Oh period. my god! Like I don't, I don't think there is one. Like I would read a, um, like uh, Otis Mensa did that Safe Metamorphosis poetry book. Yeah. I want a like put together like hardcover book of Doom lyrics <laughs> with like beautiful like photographs and like artwork in it to just read. <laughs> Because they are, that's been one of my favorite parts, uh, is everyone just sharing, like, couplets and shit like that on Twitter, and they're just so yeah. fun to read. Yeah. What's your What's your favorite Doom song, Ryan? Um, Rhinestone Cowboy, I've quoted it just, but uh, the applause, the way that song feels like a victory lap, and it's the final couplet on the album of Mad Villain, he says... Um, Told him where the mask said you bet your sweet ass. Uh, it's made of fine chrome alloy. Find him on the grind. He's the rhinestone cowboy. Like, not until you say Doom's lyrics out loud do you realize how many times he uses the same syllable. And how, like, it's like I just used the owl sound two lines ago and he brought it back on this line, but also had 25 internal rhymes of the same. Like, not until you say it out loud do you realize. And I think that was the first Doom song I memorized, like, completely. And saying that out loud made me realize, just like, this guy's on another level, yeah. I'm going to cry now. <laughs> seeing, seeing so many rappers, like, cover his songs, too, yeah. like, the day after has been crazy. Because you know, like, for some of these rappers, these are, like, the songs that they were spitting when they were, like, trying to learn how to rap. Yeah. For so many of them. Uh, my favorite Doom song is Rhymes Like Dimes. And yeah, I read, um, yeah. or phasers, I really fuck with phasers. Um, but I read on, it was on Passion Weiss, he's doing a series where like individual writers are writing blurbs about their favorite songs. Um, and so this one is from uh, Rhymes Like Dimes. And I just want to read this one paragraph where he like talks about how Doom, you know, within a nonlinear song, he pulls in like short couplets that get a fat point across. And then, like, a couple bars later, like, he hits another point. And it's, like, yeah. a complete point that could be a whole song, but wrapped into, like, like a short stanza. So this is from, on Passion Weiss, the blurb on Rhymes Like Dimes. This is a song where he can say some absurd, absurd shit, like, when I hit it, slid into the shitter, thought I killed a goose, her power use was pure Brita water filter juice. <laughs> then moments later, he dropped... Only in America could you find a way to earn a healthy buck and still keep your attitude on self-destruct. It's not a linear song with a message. It's simply a guy rapping about whatever he wanted to rap about. Hmm. There was no reinventing the wheel with that type of song, but at the same time, literally no one but Doom could have ever made it. And that's so true for so much of his music. Like, even just, like, picturing, like, some of these bars, like, not coming from the metal-faced villain, like, doesn't... Like, the aesthetic isn't right. Like, you kind of need the whole image for the aesthetic mm. to hit. Yeah, yeah man. Um, I guess I'll leave it there. You guys have quite succinctly in how 
I, I I do think the last point in how enjoyable is to read his lyrics really do hit home and uh, it is a genuine joy I guess because it really does just show like how uh, you know great hip hop music can be in terms of just being an MC and just uh, and just having fun with words and all that kind of stuff it is true poetry and uh, you know I think that's a great way to leave it. Uh, Ryan, Brandon, I highly appreciate your time. Ryan, go get a tissue rough, all right? <laughs> <laughs> Outro this to the rhymes like dimes beat because it's stuck in my head now. Yeah, in fact, it's nice of you to think that. <laughs> <laughs>
they were divorced, and significantly, they were both homeowners, an enormous feat for two newly single people. Uh, neither place was particularly fancy. I'd estimate that the combined square footage of both roughly equaled that of the Simpsons' home. Their houses were their only source of debt. My parents have never carried a credit card balance. Within 10 years, they had both uh, both paid off their mortgage. Neither of my parents had much wiggle room in the budget. I remember Christmases that, in hindsight, looked a lot like the one portrayed in the first episode of The Simpsons, which aired in December 1989. Shit, is that older show... How is Simpsons not dead, by the way? Who who is watching The Simpsons seriously like these days? I I generally I do not know anybody that like watches the new episodes of The Simpsons. Like you may watch some throwbacks, you know what I mean? If it, if if they ever come on whatever channel, but who's watching like new episodes of The Simpsons? I I I need to know who these people are. Anyway, uh, handmade decorations, burnt out light bulbs, and only a handful of gifts. My parents had no Christmas bonus or savings, so the best gifts usually came from people outside our immediate family. Most of my friends and classmates lived the way we did, that is, the way the Simpsons did. Some families had more secure budgets, with room for annual family vacations to Disney World. Others lived closer to the edge, with fathers taking second jobs as mall santas or plow truck drivers to bridge financial gaps. Uh, gaps. But we all believe that the ends could meet uh, which, with just an average amount of hustle. Over the years, Homer and his wife Marge, who faced their share of struggles, in the fir- also faced their uh, fair share of struggles. Uh, in the first episode, Homer becomes a mall Santa to bring so much cash. After Homer's le- Homer learns that he won't receive a Christmas bonus, and the family spends all his Christmas savings to get Bart's new tattoo removed. Uh, they also occasionally get a peek into a different kind of life. In season two, Homer buys the hair restoration project. Project. Oh, I nearly dropped my phone on my face. Um, a demoxinil. Uh, his full head of hair gets him promoted to the executive level, but he's demoted after by accident he spills the tonic on the floor and Homer loses all his new hair. Uh, Marge finds a vintage Chanel suit at a discount store and wearing it grants her entree uh, into the upper echelons of society. The Simpsons started its 32nd season. Fuck, this past fall. Uh, Homer is still the family's breadwinner. Although he's had many jobs throughout the show's run, he was uh, even briefly a roadie for the Rolling Stones. Uh, he's back at the power plant. Marge is still the stay-at-home parent, taking point on raising Bartley's and Maggie and maintaining the family's suburban home. But their life it no longer resembles reality for many American middle-class families. Adjusted for inflation, the Homer's 996 home of 25 grand would be roughly 42 grand today, about 60% of the 2019 median US income. But the salary aside, uh, the world for some like Homer Simpson is far less secure. Union membership, which uh, protects wages and benefits for millions of workers in positions like Homer's, dropped from 14.5% in 1996 to 10.3% today. With with that decline came the loss of income security and many guaranteed benefits, including health insurance and pension plans. In 1993's episode, Last Exit to Springfield, Lisa braces needs braces at the same time that Homer's dental plan evaporates. Unable to afford Lisa's ortho, orthodontia? Is that a word? Orthodontia? Interesting. Uh, without that insurance, Homer leads a strike. As the Burns, the boss, eventually capitulates uh, to the union's demand for dental coverage, resulting in shiny new braces for Lisa and one fewer financial headache for the parents. For her parents. What would Homer have done today without the support of his union? 
The purchasing power of Homer's paycheck, moreover, has shrunk dramatically. The median house cost 2.4 times what it did in the mid-90s. Healthcare expenses for one person are three times what they were 25 years ago. The median nation, uh, tuition for a uh, four-year college is 1.8 times what it was then. In today's world, Marge would have to get a job too, but even then, they would struggle. Inflation was, and stagnant wages have led to a rise in two-income two households, but to an erosion of economic stability for the people who occupy them. Last year, my gross income was about 42000 the amount Homer would be making today. It was the second highest uh, earning year of my career. I was uh, I wanted to buy a home, but no bank was willing to finance a mortgage, especially since I had less than five thousand uh, five grand to make a down payment. Uh, however, my father offered me a zero down, zero, no interest contract. Without him, I would not have been able to buy the house. I finally paid off my med- medical debt, but after taking into account of all my expenses, uh, my adjusted gross income was only nineteen dollars. And with the capitalized interest on my student loans, adding to adding thousands to the balance, my net worth is still negative. My net worth is still negative. I don't have Bart, uh, Lisa and Maggie to feed uh, or clothe or buy Christmas presents for. I'm not sure how I'd make it if I did. Someone I follow on Twitter, Erica Chappell, recently uh, encapsulated my feelings about The Simpsons in a tweet. Quote, that a show which was originally about a dysfunctional mess of a family barely clinging to middle-class life in the aftermath of the Reagan administration has now become aspirational, it is frankly the most uh, on-the-nose manifestations of capitalist Ameri- uh, American decline I can think of, unquote. For many, a life of constant economic uncertainty in which some of us are one emergency away from losing everything, no matter how much we work, is normal. Second jobs are no longer for extra cash, they are for survival. It wasn't always this way. When The Simpsons first aired, few would have predicted that Americans would eventually find the family's life out of reach. But for, for, for too many of us now, it is. That's crazy to think about. Like that, that really is just outstanding to think about. And again, this is, this is kind of something I'd love to, I'd love to see... Um, done with like a British show and I can't, I don't really know what show you can um, you can think of that um, has kind of like the middle the middle of the road um, kind of essence about it and but would be aspirational now I'm trying to think it would definitely be something like a um, maybe like a London uh, based thing because obviously London's um, a, a madness to uh, uh, to, to cop him in housing market, but like, um, yeah, I'm trying, I'm trying to like think of uh, something that would just be, I don't know, I, I can't, I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but yeah, it, it, it has to, it has to be, it has to exist, right? It has to exist, like it just, it just has to, because, um, I, I, I could ask, I could ask my mum about like, um, you know, copying back in the day and just like how, and you know, she was, uh, she has been working class all her life, but, um, I just wondered how. Even in her twenties, I, 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 for me, and this is being low-key selfish because obviously I'm 24 right now, but um, I, I just always find it interesting, like wondering what my where my mum was at in her twenties, and you know, as 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 you know, as life goes, she wasn't in you know the worst place. She could afford to. Uh, she told me about a trip to Italy she made, like with a friend, uh, uh, when she was in her twenties, like. What the fuck am I going to Italy for? <laughs> fuck. 
you mad? Why, why, why am I going to Liverpool? You know what I mean? Like, that's just, that's just, and that's just me. You know what I mean? I, I, I know there's I know there's other people around me that would um, uh, easily go to Italy right now if they if they if they uh, if they could. Um, but you know, I just don't. I ain't just I, I just don't got pee for that. You know what I mean? I, I really don't. So, uh, um, and that's obviously a luxury, right? But um, even in you know copping a flat or whatever, you know, it's just. Uh, 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 and you know, it's just it's just a lot. But anyway, the fact that The Simpsons is aspirational now it it simply just blows my mind. And you know, to be honest, I feel like most TV shows from that started in the late eighties, early nineties are probably aspirational now. And while I'd like to know out of curiosity, I also simultaneously don't want to know because fuck, you know, that would be depressing to know. we finish up uh in life and uh got to talk about some race don't we um so this is <laughs> i just i just found this um a real fascinating uh, little opinion piece um it's by the always thoughtful um always wonderful to read uh, miss afwell hirsch um she is uh well guardian colonist in this case but she does other stuff as well um she actually there's actually a great um, if anyone's on audible um it has a you know subscription on that she has a great um, little uh, original series. Um, it's just uh, kind of like uh, I forget the I forget the title. Let me look up the title right quick. It's it's kind of like a, we need to talk about British the British Empire something like that. Let me just find the title because uh, that's just annoying uh, to know about. But um, yeah, this she has such great. Uh, we need to talk about the British Empire. That's it. And it's basically just like making sense of British Empire's legacy. And she basically goes across to a lot of you know obviously the british empire at one time was the empire that where the sun never uh, set um so she gets like several people from several places um uh the most um probably the two most uh known names is uh dane diana rig and uh, benjamin zephaniah but um she also she also uh, talks to people like uh, uh broadcaster anita rani um talking and they talk about uh, anita's uh family uh, family roots in the Indian partition, um, and obviously how that shit show <laughs> went down, uh, British Somali writer, and Nadifa Mohammed, um, and talking about, uh, um, uh, co- colonialism, and just, uh, and, and stuff like that, Dame Diana Riggs is probably one of the most fascinating episodes, because, um, she's a star, you know, like, and she's an actress, um, but she, her childhood was in 1940s colonial India, um, so she went from, she was in a working class family, but when she went to India, she was practically royalty in some ways, and, and just that, thinking about that is just crazy to think about, um, the last episode is Emily Moss, um, she's a singer, songwriter, and, uh, she, she was in Hong Kong, um, she left Hong Kong as a teenager, um, and then kind of, uh, and obviously with Hong Kong, uh, going on now, everything's going there, with the protests still going on now, it's just, so timely to think about and uh yeah so if you if you guys are on audible get into that because it's just a superb series and uh shout out for hirsch on that front we need to talk about the british empire go give go give it a peep uh but for this one uh we kind of have a 
uh, kind of like a I don't know I don't know what you want to call it kind of like a looking back but looking forward on on just race in the UK um, so this is called on race in 2020 we took a step forward from minus 10 to zero we can't afford to go back which even in that title alone um, I low-key contest because um, you know one of my favorite shows that uh, you guys probably know is the um, take out the knife seal the wound episode that where I just basically talked about um, the BLM protests and I was kind of at the height of it and I was very uh, mentally tired about it about it all and um, I mentioned the Malcolm X um, kind of like a passage where he talks about you know if you if you if someone stabs you eight inches and they only take out six is that progress um, so the fact that she takes it from minus 10 to zero um, and the fact that we're on zero that is very uh, optimistic I would say um, I'd, I'd, I'd lower that I'd still think we're in the minus but you know hey hey I'm, I'm just gonna I'll, ta- I'll take that I'll take that with a grain of salt and we'll get into the article itself uh, this was the year that made achieving nothing look like progress I mean that in the nicest way a wise old man I spoke to recently put it better. He spent a lifetime doing anti-racism work and was reflecting on how, since the traumatic murder of George Floyd in May, it feels like the real gains uh, have been made in 2020. Quote, the good thing about this year, he said, is that for a long time we have been stuck at minus 10 in, 20, uh, minus 10. in 2020. It looks like we have finally progressed to zero, unquote. Getting to nothing has been a lot of work until this year, even attempting a conversation about anti-blackness, structural racism, or God forbid whiteness, was often liable to provoke uh, the most extreme, hostile, and defensive reactions. I should know, I often experience the consequences of attempting to do so on live television, whereas now simply acknowledging the state of our problems has become a socially acceptable thing to do. It does feel like a step forward. But at the same time, describing it as an accomplishment, it feels like a bit of a stretch, agreed. Um, if I sound ungrateful, then good. It costs so many people's lives to get this far. There are those giant tragedies, and then there are the little things. All our worlds shrank this year because our movement was so dramatically restricted, uh, but sometimes the devil is in the detail. A conversation I had recently with a black woman who wields enormous power in the TV industry sums up for me. She and I were uh, meeting from our respective bedrooms in the now familiar strange intimacy of a one-on-one Zoom meeting. She has developed a massive rash all over her boobs. Okay. Uh, Quote, this is years of bullshit, racism, microaggression, she told me in a matter-of-fact tone. I have never had any eczema before. Okay, that's why she's saying it. Um, I've never had any eczema before. My My doctor said it's erupted now because I have finally given myself permission to acknowledge the toxic stuff I have been putting up with during all these decades of my career. I kind of want to guess who it is, but I won't, because <laughs> I have a I have a guess. Uh, but anyway, I'll continue. Uh, it's one of those numerous sim- uh, similar conversations I have had this year. Uh, being exhausted became a state of the black uh, state of the black nation fact. It was exhausting when institutions, white friends and co-workers refused to acknowledge the murder of George Floyd. It was exhausting when they did. Quote, what has racism been like for you? Six words ho- uh, six words you hope to never hear in any language. You speak well enough to be required to respond. Coretta Scott King said that the struggle against racism is a never-ending process. Quote, freedom is never really won, she said. You earn it and win it in every generation, unquote. 
It's true, and also tiring as hell. As I write, my year is ending with a right-wing commentator demanding that I educate him about white privilege via Twitter. You couldn't make it up. He suggested that his life story is of, of failing upwards. He experienced disadvantage and did not excel in education, and yet now has a large platform anyway. Shows white privilege does not exist. Sometimes I engage in these worrying conversations because, having written a book about the need for a national conversation about race, I feel obliged to take part in one when it happens. But I do think people could read mine or the number of other excellent informative books on the subject before requiring us to speak to them about it. This demand is that... Uh, honestly, actually, I'll stop there for a moment. Honestly, like I feel like if any of those conversations come my way, I'll just send them those books. I'll be just like, here you go, here's, here's a link cop this book have a read like, if you really care like have a read there you go boom literally just do that um anyway this demand that black people explain racism <laughs> explain racism from those who have not previously made the effort to think about it uh is pre is precisely the reason why your black friends are still exhausted was a headline in british vogue in october with the head with the other suggestion to quote check in on their mental well-being unquote i don't want to be overly negative and the fact that British Vogue should run such a piece is symptomatic of the positive change that is starting to come through. Its editor, Edward Innerful, is not only has not only turned the nation's most prestigious fashion magazine into a celebration of all beauty, not excluding blackness but championing it, he has now also he has also now been appointed Vogue's editorial director for the whole of Europe. Culture, fiction and drama are powerful tools in this struggle. We are finally tasting what happens. When black creatives come through, Michaela Cole set a new bar for authenticity and creativity with the mesmerizing series I May Destroy You. Steve McQueen's Small Axe made, made the telling of Bryn's own recent history as a cultural moment. I didn't know how much I had missed seeing black love and joy celebrated, allowed to breathe and flow on British TV until I watched Lovers Rock. Uh, highly recommend, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. At the, time, at the same time, COVID, which can, uh, which took so much away in 2020, also hit black culture hard. We mourn Ty, the rapper who pioneered the un unapologetically Br uh, British hip-hop, that has now, thanks in part to his pioneering, taken the world by storm. And we mourn the legendary, legendary community activist Paul Lawrence, who spent his life working for and with the black community in the UK, keeping strong ties to his native Jamaica. At the spotlight... Shone on the on black excellence for all these reasons only serve to make our government more conspicuous in its complete mediocrity. This was the year Boris Johnson, <coughs> Boris Johnson's government, actively campaigned against anti-racism, appointing a race equality inquiry uh, run by people who don't believe in institutional racism. To this, we can add having a minister of gender equality who doesn't believe in feminism and a children's commissioner unable to condemn smacking children. In fact, reflecting on all of this, if our government wants to really cha challenge itself with uh, New Year goal setting, mediocrity would be a bold aspiration. Ooh, shots fired. The goodbye 2020 sentiment has become a small industry at this point for understandable reasons, but you don't have to be a prophet to see that the only real crime of this year would be to not learn its lessons. Hopefully, we won't have to go through it all again. So yeah, that's the entirety, and um, you know I think it's left on a really good point. Um, just um, like how we take, how we how we reflect on things. I think I I think I mentioned this in some fashion during the five EPM special. I was just like, 
you know, take what you want from this year, because um, while, while, while you don't want to take much from it, and while you may want to forget the majority of it, or you're like me that has mostly forgotten most of it, like in the day-to-day, like there's a lot of shit I do not remember from last year already, like it's just, it's just dead days, it just doesn't exist to me, just left in the ether of time, um, but you know, I, the further I go from the, what happened in May and June, the more I feel like it's a blessing in disguise, and you know, obviously there's a bit more problematic thoughts you can add to that one, on top of that, where it's just like, someone has to die for a blessing in disguise to happen, you know what I mean, just that is is crazy to me, um, but regardless it is, you know, it started a conversation or continued a conversation for some people and, you know, got a lot of people asking questions, which I think is good, but, you know, asking someone on Twitter about it is not the way to go, uh, just read a fucking book for once, you know what I mean, just literally read or watch a documentary, I mean, I said, I think I've said this before, like, you know, we have so many resources, you have podcasts, you have music, you have TV, documentaries, film, uh, books, literature, you know, this, you have a myriad of things, and you decide to go to social media for your answers, no, social media is the answer for nothing, okay, so, yeah, anyway, I'm rambling, but anyway, we shall leave it there, and uh, that'll be the last mention of 2020, hopefully, for the, for the foreseeable future. Uh, we'll see how that going goes. Uh, not a promise, but anyway. Ladies and gentlemen, from the 5th and Podcast Network, I've been Charlie Taylor, and this has been What's Good. Intro music has been uh, Too Much by Vanilla. Interlude music has been visited by Poldor. You can find both of their tunes via the links in the full show notes. Thanks to your Breakers for the ability to use these songs. You can also find their entire Bandcamp discography, ever-growing, ever-expanding, in the full show notes below. And with that said, I hope you have a good week. I should always try and do the same. But until the next time, take it easy. Ladies and gentlemen.